Bibles. Turn to the book of 1 Peter chapter 5. This is week 8 of 8 messages looking at this book uh, that, that the Apostle Peter wrote in the first century. Before we get there, however, I have a quick video. I think we have a quick video that I'd like to show you. Hey everybody, I'm Mark Schultz. I'm going to be in Clinton, Illinois, April 6th, right there at First Christian. I'm going to bring a couple of my friends, J.J. Heller and the group Sela. So it should be a great night. I've got family in Clinton. It'll be a special show, and it's our last show of the season. So uh, we'll see you there, April 6th. Award-winning Christian artist Mark Schultz. And along with Sayla and J.J. Heller, they're a part of Fan the Flame Part 3, Sunday night, April the 6th, right here. You can get your tickets this morning, you can get your tickets during the week in the office. We are hoping to, uh, to really pack the place that night. It is going to be an incredible concert, and you will be blessed. Spread the word. One other announcement, next Sunday, I'm going to be talking during the sermon time, and then also during the Sunday school hour about my recent trip to India. The message next Sunday morning is entitled, What God is Doing in Northeast India. So I would love to have you come out, love for you to, um, to, to tell others about it. I know so many of you lifted me up in prayer during that visit, and I would love to, to be able to share with a, a full house next Sunday all that I experienced uh, not that long ago in Northeast India. Today's message is entitled, Leading and Following. And it is the culmination of uh, over two months looking at this book of 1 Peter, written late in Peter's life, about 30 years, 35 years after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, during a very trying time, during a time of persecution. Uh, the local church, the, the first century church, was struggling greatly during this time. And, and Peter wrote this, this letter, this epistle, he wrote Second Peter as well, to, to be an encouragement to God's people to stand firm, to not throw in the towel, but to live holy lives that are honorable and pleasing to God the Father. And here's a quick summary of where we've, we've been. Week one, we looked at the incredible gift that God has blessed us with, a living hope. Week two... We talked about what's it mean to be holy? What, what, does a, what does a life look like if the goal is to be holy? And we concluded that being like Jesus, that should be our goal. Week three, you are the very people of God. It's, it's adoption language. You are a chosen people, a, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people who belong to God. Week four, Super Sunday, Super Bowl Sunday, we talked about submission and how even though it's countercultural, biblical submission really leads to freedom. Week five, we talked about how important it is to tell the story of Jesus. We, we should always be prepared to give an answer for the hope that we have. Week six, the exposed community of Christ. Two weeks ago, week seven, Doug Maris preached in my stead. I was in India. He did an awesome job tackling the topic of suffering. I was able to listen to that message this week. And uh, just so thankful for Doug, the month-long journey through walk through the Bible, as well as his study of the last half of 1 Peter chapter 4. Last week was our pulpit exchange. Scott Marsh from Texas Christian Church did a wonderful job. And today we wrap up 1 Peter with a message entitled, Leading and Following. Leading and Following. And so with that, let's dive in. And, and with no further ado, let's read our text, the first 11 verses of 1 Peter chapter 5. Peter writes these words, to the elders among you I appeal as a fellow elder 
a witness of Christ's suffering, and one who also will share in the glory to be revealed, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you are willing as God wants you to be, not greedy for money, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Young men, in the same way, be submissive to those who are older. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. And today's message really is a two-part message. Part one is, what does a godly leader look like? And number two, how do we as the church follow God's leaders well? And so let's dive right in. What's a godly leader look like? First of all, three responsibilities that we see for God's shepherd. When you think about someone that would lead God's church, someone that would serve as elder, there's really a threefold responsibility. A lot of this information is taken, of course, from 1 Peter chapter 5, but also from an incredible book by Lenny Anderson, They Smell Like Sheep. And number one is this, the first call of an elder is to feed the sheep. In our text, simply put, be shepherds of God's flock. Be shepherds of God's flock. Uh, nothing is more troubling for the Christian than when they quit growing in, in their faith. When they develop a faith and the faith is, is growing for a time and then it ceases to grow. And the primary responsibility for the flock uh, lies with the elders to make sure that there are ample opportunities and that the flock is growing in the faith. Um, the day that I returned home from India was kind of a, a foggy day. I was dealing with jet lag and um, got up with the regular routine very early in the morning and, and walked my dog. Maybe you know I like to walk my dog. And the dog, just Sadie, just wasn't the same. And all day long, just kind of mopey and um, didn't have any energy, um, wouldn't do her duty on the walk. And, and that evening, Marla and I were looking at each other. What's wrong with Sadie? Is she sick? Is there a problem with her? Did something go wrong? Did she drink some bad water? And, and it dawned on Marla. She said, now you did feed Sadie Friday morning, right? And I said, no, you feed Sadie. She goes, no, I thought you were going to feed Sadie. The dog had went a full day without eating anything. And, and as a result of that was famished and pouty and, and, and not the, the, the dog that's typically full of energy wanting to play. The same thing is true for Christians that are not being fed. The Christian that is stagnant in their faith. And a, a primary responsibility of the leaders of the church is to make sure that the sheep are being fed. There's opportunities for the sheep to grow. I love the fact that at every elders meeting, I spend time sharing with our elders upcoming sermon and lesson series and getting feedback from them, making sure that that's the direction that we should go. Number one, feed the sheep. Number two, 
Second responsibility for the shepherd is to protect the sheep. We're going to jump over to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20 is Paul's farewell letter. And in the midst of this farewell letter to a a group of elders in Ephesus, here's what he has to say. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from within your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples. After then, them be on guard. There is a major priority for God's leaders, for the elders of the church to protect the sheep. Now, we protect the sheep in a couple of ways. I know that some of us have struggled with some of the safety and security changes around here, the background checks, the consolidation of areas where children can't, where you can have access to children. That's a move by your leaders to make sure that our children, our most valued asset, are protected and they are safe. But there is another type of protection that is just as important, and that is a spiritual protection. Nothing is more damaging for the church than when a false teacher arises and has authority and has power and has influence. And I'm so thankful that the leaders of this church, have, since I've been here for seven and a half years, have always taken seriously what is being taught, what is being preached, what direction the theology, shall we say, of this church is developing. Uh, just a tragic story in yesterday's Chicago Sun-Times about a well-known, many of you would know the name, conservative Christian leader, major person of influence in the homeschool movement that um, has kind of had a crash and burn experience because of some uh, out-of-control sin in his life. It's all over the front pages of the major newspapers in our country. Um, Much damage will be done in the weeks and the months ahead, I'm afraid, because of this crash and burn experience. The elders are called to protect the sheep. Number three, the elders are called to guide the sheep, to guide the sheep. Look at Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in one. He makes me lie down in the green pastures, leads me beside the quiet waters, restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. When we think of leadership in the 21st century, we think of the Western model of leadership we think of the, the cowboy on the horse with the whip driving the cattle where they don't want to go. And that is a terrible, terrible picture of what biblical leadership of shepherding the flock should look like. The leaders of your church should be people that are infectious, that you want to follow after. The, the Old Testament model of leadership, of shepherding, was someone that would lead the way and the sheep were so drawn to the shepherd that they would follow after him. God's leaders are called to guide the sheep. I want to talk this morning a little bit about motivations to be an elder, motivations to be a godly leader. Because I think we live in a day and an age, 2014 America, where there is a lot to be gained anytime you have the opportunity to, to serve in, in some sort of a leadership capacity, whether it's a, you know, a national or statewide office or our local level of leadership or even leadership within the church. And I think if the motivations are not correct, you can have tragic, tragic consequences. And the first motivation that we see in our text is someone should have a passion to serve. 
They should have a passion to serve. Verse 2 says, serve because you are willing, not because you must. Serve because you're eager to serve, not because you are greedy for money. It really gets at the motivation. Why do you want to serve? I think one of the challenges for independent Christian churches is that we use really good leaders for long periods of time. And after a while, if we're not careful, they can really get burnt out. They can really get discouraged. They can get to the point to where there's no joy in serving whatsoever. That's why I'm thankful, even though sometimes it's frustrating, that we have a mandatory sabbatical process here at FCC. You may not realize that, but an elder can serve a three-year term, and then they are required to sit out for a one-year sabbatical period. And I think that's very healthy for the leaders of your church to have a time to refresh and to renew and to focus on their spiritual life. A leader should have a passion to serve. Secondly, a leader should have a lifestyle that others want to follow. Verse 3 says, because you want to be an example, not to lord it over others. And again, we get back to how leadership in the local church is different from leadership in the world. One, one of the things that is very troubling, and it's not a new trend, I just think we have so much more new information because of the world in which we live in, the World Wide Web and the, uh, the TV and cable TV and news shows, but if there's dirty laundry in the life of a leader, we're probably going to find out about it. It's probably going to be exposed. It's very, very difficult to, to keep a secret forever. And in the life of the local church, the leaders should be composed of people that, that are living the life before the discussion of eldership ever even arises. Does that mean your elders are perfect? No. Does that mean that they'll never stumble? Of course not. Absolutely not. But it does mean that they are getting up every day saying, I want to grow in the faith. I want to live a life that is a model for others. And, and, and honestly, not everyone has that agenda. Not everyone has that perspective. Not everyone has that desire. A lifestyle others want to follow. And then finally, what, what's a final motivation? They embody a kingdom ego. A kingdom ego. One of the real challenges that local churches have faced throughout the years is when someone finds themselves in, in, in a leadership position and it becomes apparent pretty quickly that they have an agenda, they have an ego that does not serve the body well. And we can see that on the national level, we can see that on the state level, we can see that on the local level. Uh, I've seen it on the church level. Uh, a church that I'm very familiar with in the New England area was absolutely devastated when, uh, about 15 years ago. Our youth group from Moequa had spent a week at this church and three weeks later their church split in half because someone with a desire to take this independent Christian church and make them a, a different kind of church began to really push and, and really do damage. And that church literally split in half. And the kingdom was devastated because of that. They became kind of a laughing stock in, in the part of New Hampshire where they were located. In many ways, they haven't recovered even to this day. And so God's leaders should have a, a kingdom ego. 
Verse 4 refers to this. Galatians 1, verse 10, the Apostle Paul refers to this. Someone that seeks reward from God, not the approval of men. Someone that's a big picture Christian and realizes it's not about them, but it's about doing the will of God. I announce for you this morning that beginning today, the elder recommendation process begins. And for the next four Sundays, counting today, you will have an opportunity to recommend men to serve as elder at FCC beginning July 1. Those forms are available at the Welcome Center, and it's a very clear-cut process. And I would encourage you to, to enter into this very prayerfully, to enter into this very uh, soberly, and, and to pray that the Lord would rise up leaders for First Christian Church. Well, that's part one of the sermon, and we did that pretty quickly what does a godly leader look like? I think even more important for us today is how do we follow God's leaders well? We live in an era of negativity. We live in an era of dissension. You, you turn on Fox News, you turn on MSNBC, you turn on cable news, and I don't know about you, I can't watch it after a while. My head starts to hurt after a while because somebody's always the devil Someone's always wanting to destroy the country. And, and there is this spirit of negativity that just builds up within me if I'm not careful. And if we're not careful, the same thing happens when we walk through the doors of that church. Or when we reflect on our church. We begin to really major in the minors. We begin to really get fired up about things that really don't matter. Hear me loud and clear this morning. This church is far from the perfect church. There are definitely, definitely things that we can and need to do better. But unfortunately for some people, all they see are the minor frustrations. All they communicate are the minor frustrations. And they never get on board with what God is doing. And that's not just First Christian Church of Clinton. That's every church. So my challenge, I'm going to do this pretty quickly this morning. I want to challenge you to begin to pray this prayer. How can I follow the Lord well? How can I follow God's leaders well? How can I embody a spirit that is productive and positive and uplifting so that when the world looks at First Christian Church or the world looks at church in general, they don't see people that are always majoring in the minors, but they see a family that wants to grow and make a difference in their community and literally all around the world. And I think the last part of our text today, beginning with uh, verse 5, helps really tackle what I would call five ingredients of the godly follower. I dare you to embody these ingredients in your life. And number one is this, a godly follower is someone who has mastered humble submission. Humble submission. Peter says, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Number one, humble submission. When we truly embrace humility, when we truly acknowledge that we don't have all the answers, and maybe there are people that have more information that we have, and maybe we need to trust, we're able to overcome what I would call the sin of pride, the sin of pride. Go to a basketball game sometime, 
and just listen to people and how they respond to the game. And if it is a close game, and if there are controversial calls, it won't be one or the other team's fault when the team leaves, loses. Whose fault will it be? It'll be the referee's fault, right? The guy in stripes. It doesn't matter uh, what else unfolded. If your team loses, and I'm very guilty of this, many times you will say, if we would have just got that one call, if we would have just been able to, to get that to go our way, everything would be okay. I think sometimes that's a little bit how the church is if we're not careful. We sit back and we throw pot shots at leaders, and we think if I was just sitting in that seat, if I was just making the decision, everything would go well. Number one, humble submission. Number two, we're going to call divine dependence. Divine dependence. I love verse 7 of our text. It's one of my life verses. Cast all your anxiety on the Lord. He cares for you. Cast all your anxiety on the Lord. He cares for you. And when you truly be able, when you truly begin to follow the words of that song, trust and obey, you can embrace this divine dependence. It helps us to overcome worry. Many of us are worry warts. We worry all the time. And you'll be a better godly follower if you put verse 7 into practice in your life. Cast all your cares on him, all your anxiety on him. He cares for you. Number three, active faith and active faith. I love verse 8. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. We don't like to talk supernatural. We don't like to talk Satan. We don't like to talk about the devil. Friends, there's a supernatural battle ongoing in your life and in my life. Absolutely true. And if we're not careful, if we um, major in the minors, if we're always that voice of negativity, it may well be that Satan is using us to divide. And that's why the best thing a negative person can do is go to God's Word. Read God's Word. Study God's Word. Spend time in a Sunday school class. Spend time on Wednesday nights. Spend time in personal devotion. Spend time, ladies, at the Thursday evening or Tuesday morning Bible studies. If you're just really frustrated with your church, don't disengage. Engage more than ever. Roll up your sleeves and have a desire to dig deeper into God's Word. We're called to have an active faith. And when we do that, it helps us overcome emotionalism. It helps us overcome emotionalism. Emotion is good. Emotion is a gift from God. But if we are led by our emotions, if we're always driven by our emotions have devastating consequences. Ingredient number four, I would call a kingdom mindset. A kingdom mindset. Resist him, verse 9 says, standing firm in the faith because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. Resist him, standing firm in in the faith. A real problem in the first century church. We know this through the author of Hebrews. We know this through Peter. We know this through the last part of Paul's life is many Christians were so discouraged by the persecution. Many Christians were so discouraged by the events of their world, they were throwing in the towel. 
And at the very minimum, they were backing off in their spiritual life, but many of them were going back to Judaism. Or many of them were, were giving up the faith altogether, saying it's just not worth it. And here Peter says, resist him. Stand firm in the faith. Draw a line in the sand. And when we do that, it helps us overcome complacency. It helps us overcome complacency. I think the greatest example of complacency in all of the Bible is the tragic story of King David. And I say it's tragic. David did some incredible things. He was a man after God's own heart. I mean, you look at David early in his life and early in his reign as king, and he's a model for what a leader should look like in so many different ways and attributes. But 2 Samuel verse 11 begins with these words, In the springtime, when the kings go off to war, David stayed in Jerusalem. And he's wandering on a roof. And he sees a beautiful, gorgeous woman bathing. And the next thing you know, the man after God's own heart becomes an adulterer and a deceiver and a murderer. Many people would say it began with lust. I would say it began with complacency. The warrior stopped fighting. And so I don't know where you're at this morning. Maybe this message hits you in a, in a very unique way. Maybe you say, I've become complacent in my faith. Dive in. Be in God's word. Be in corporate worship. Grow in your prayer life. Stand firm in the faith. And ingredient number five, eternal motivation. Eternal motivation. Look at verse 10. The God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. And when we have that eternal motivation, when we agree to be a big picture Christian, it helps us overcome worldliness. This world can be very attractive. The joys of this world can be very tasty. They can be very delicious. They can be very filling for a time. But it was Solomon, King Solomon, that figured out after a while all the women, all the wine, all the, the, the power, the buildings, they're all worthless after a while. And so make sure that you have an eternal motivation for your faith. What's the bottom line for you this morning? Hebrews 13, obey your leaders, submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Obey them so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no advantage to you. Leading God's church, it's an incredibly important undertaking. Following God's leaders well, just as difficult. Let's do both well. Let's pray. God, thank you for today, and thank you for the opportunity really these last two and a half months, to study this book of First Peter. And it's my prayer that over these next several weeks that your hand would be on this congregation as we consider leaders for your church. And I pray that over the next several years, we would be brothers and sisters in Christ who would follow you well, follow your leaders well. That we wouldn't be people that major in the minors, but are big picture Christians.
And that because of that, people in our community that don't know Jesus, they would have a desire to know more about what it means to be a follower. What it means to say Jesus is my Lord and Savior. We love you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen.